How are y'all? You doing okay? Good, good. Um, it is good to be with you all this morning. Um, I uh, know that this past week I was actually thinking a lot, just kind of about the church, um, kind of where we are, and just felt so very blessed, honestly, to be a part of this church, um, who I feel like y'all love each other very, very well. I feel like you support each other, you love each other, um, you kind of come around each other in hard times. I saw instance after instance this week where there was just a lot of camaraderie, kind of, and where I personally felt very loved by you all. You love our family well. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for blessing each other. I feel like that's what the heart of a church is about together, that we would both be a light to the world, but also that we would be a building up of uh, one another, that the saints will be built up together. And I feel like you all do that well. And so I just want to thank you for that, that you guys are truly making much of Jesus in the world around us. And so I want to thank you for that. Um, Y'all are great. Okay. Enough with the mushy stuff, all right? James is about to bring the hammer again. So that wasn't a setup. I did feel that, but here comes James, okay? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, James chapter two will be there. We'll jump around just a little bit today, um, but James chapter two, you can kind of camp out there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please feel free to grab and to take that Bible. If you physically don't own a Bible, would you keep that Bible? We want that to be our gift to you, um, that you would have the word of God. And so please feel free to take one of those. You can also, follow along on your smartphone if you wish to do that. If you have the version app underneath the tab section, click on live, type in the well Austin, and you can follow along that way. Uh, there are notes, uh, places to uh, submit prayer requests, uh, all the scripture that we'll be reading today. Um, and if you don't have that app uh, and you still want to do that on your phone, you can type this link right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way. Okay. Um, so before we get into the sermon, though, uh, we have an opportunity today to celebrate another Covenant community class. All right, seven people were excited about that. They love y'all, all right? But um, so at the well, uh, we have a mission statement which reads uh, that the well exists to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God. And that can really be broken down into four different sections as you see there. Really kind of though, what we felt like a good summarization of that though, if you could kind of pick three words that we want to live out as a church, it would be to exalt, disciple, and send. All right, exalt disciples send. And so that's why we feel like God has us in Austin. That's what we want to be as a church, that we would exalt Christ, be disciples, all right, that we would both be disciples and also disciple others, that we would see lost people coming to know who Jesus is and that the saints would be more rooted and grounded in Christ and that those disciples would make an impact in the world around them, that they would personally live sent lives and all of this is for the glory of God. And so we feel like our covenant community kind of best understands that and uh, exemplifies that around us, that they understand the mission of the church. They want to run full-fledged with that. And so uh, with that, I want to actually uh, bring up um, the six new covenant community members. Y'all know who you are, so... Should see some movement. There we go, all right? Um, so six new members. As they come up, go ahead and give them a, a, a hand clap. Um, 
So these uh, new members, and then also uh, uh, Brandon, who's not here today, he sent me his like modeling picture, all right? You see that? Um, so make fun of him next time you see him, all right? But um, so these uh, six people went through uh, different weeks of classes. They served in different areas throughout our church. Uh, they've covenanted themselves to be a part of this family. And so would you all join with me in praying for them that God would pour out his spirit upon them, bless them, bless us through them? Would you all pray that we would be a blessing to them um, and that God would be glorified through this. So let's pray together. Um, Jesus, thank you for these new members, God. I thank you that this isn't just membership, but really uh, entering into a family, God. We want to be a family. Jesus, you have adopted us by your blood and you call us sons and daughters that every single man, woman, child who calls upon you can be entered into a familial relationship with you, God. Lord, then we get to, to play that out as a family. We get to be brothers and sisters of one another, loving each other, encouraging each other, exhorting each other, challenging each other. God, just pouring out your grace upon each other. Would you allow us to do that together? God, would you allow these new members to pour out their lives into us as the church that we will be built up in you, Jesus? Would you allow us as the family to pour back out into them that they would be built up in you, Christ? All that your name would be glorified, Jesus. We want you to receive the glory and honor. So bless these men and women. I thank you deeply for them, God. Pray blessings over them in your precious name, Christ. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Hey, thanks. Give them another hand clap. Amen. All right. Um, so today I actually want to start off kind of the sermon with a little bit of a pop quiz, all right? Because everybody's favorite thing is a pop quiz, right? It's kind of like going to the dentist. You always enjoy that, right? Um, okay, so pop quiz, what is this a picture of? All right, okay. I see three people past kindergarten. All right, that's good. What is this? An apple tree. Okay, well, how in the world did you know that? Oh, okay, interesting. Okay, well, what is this a picture of? Ah, yeah, it's a lemon tree. I actually thought it was going to be an orange tree next. <laughs> what is the next one a picture of? There it is. Uh, yeah, it kind of looks like a tomato, kind of looks like oranges. Grapefruits, yeah, I heard that. That's an orange tree, all right, so I tricked you a little bit. Okay, so uh, how do you know what these trees are? By the fruit they produce, right? So it sounds kind of silly, but that's how we know what it is, okay? So let me ask, what kind of tree is this then? A leaf tree. I was not expecting that answer. That is great. <laughs> that is great. Well, this is actually an apple tree. You already saw a picture of an apple tree. So why did you not know that this was an apple tree? because it has no fruit on it, right? So this is, may seem silly, but this is actually James's very message for us today, okay? So let's go ahead and dive in. James chapter two, we're gonna pick it up here in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know the type of tree that something is because of the fruit that is on that tree, 
right? Put it in another way. Uh, what is shown on the outside is evidence as to what is on the inside, right? You tracking with that? What is shown on the outside is actually evidence as to what is on the inside. What James is about to uh, uh, exhort us in, okay, throughout this is actually one of the very same things that Jesus exhorted us in on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go over to Matthew chapter 7 with me really quickly, um, Jesus actually says kind of the same thing that James is saying, just in a different tone, right? And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20, he says this, you will recognize them being true or false Christians by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So James says that faith without works is actually dead. It's a dead type of faith. James in verse 14 says that if someone doesn't have faith, can the, or works, can that faith that he has save them? Another way to ask this question is, without works, is his faith really saving faith? Without works, is this person's faith actually saving faith? Is the faith that he has the type of faith that'll bring you into the presence of God, that after you depart from the body, you will be present with the Lord? Is that a real type of faith if works are not married to that faith? And James's answer is no. That man, that woman is not saved. You are still dead. Now this should immediately spark a little bit of a flag in our head, right? Because if we grew up in church a little bit or, or even if uh, we haven't grew up in church, we've probably heard that you are saved by faith in God alone, not a result of your works. It is the grace of God, right? We have uh, uh, scriptures that we memorize, right? Ephesians 2.8, it is for grace that you have been saved, not works, right? And so we cannot work. And so we have to say, well, wait a minute then. Are these two things contradicting each other? right? I know that a skeptic would kind of be like, there we go, right? There it is. There's the contradiction that scripture has. And I will admit, on the surface, it does kind of seem like these two things are uh, conflicting a little bit, right? Matter of fact, let's actually jump down because James says the same thing multiple times. Let's jump down and read verse 24 really quickly. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, a person is justified by works, okay, and not by faith alone. Well, I want to actually con uh, uh, contrast this with something that Paul said. And so in Romans chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. But Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul reads this. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. All right? Now, in fact... I have this on the screen. Let's line these two things up together, okay? A person or one is justified, same word, by works or by faith, right? Apart from the law or not by faith alone, what is going on here? So are these two things actually contradicting each other? Is James saying that we have to work for our salvation, that if we want a relationship with God, we have to, to some extent, work to receive that relationship? I'll say unless these two men are pretty foolish men, which we can just read in their very writing that they're not very foolish, they at least have some education, but unless they're pretty foolish, they're actually probably using the exact same words on purpose. And here's how we know this, because James and Paul actually knew each other, 
Okay, so it wasn't like one was riding way off in, in Asia and the other one was riding way over in, in Western Europe and they had never uh, came in contact with each other. They actually sat in the same Jerusalem council together. And at the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, uh, they began to lay out different things that were important for the church. For example, Gentiles could come into the church to have a relationship with God apart from works. And James was sitting there and said, yeah, I, I agree with that, right? And, and, and they talked about, well, how do you keep the law? How do you balance this? And so these two men actually knew each other. And so could they be in this direct of an opposition with each other? Or are they trying to draw our attention in very purposeful ways? Okay, so listen clearly, because this thought will be important for the rest of the sermon. All right, this is what James is saying. James is not saying that you are saved by your works, James is not saying, hear me, that you are saved by your works, but rather you prove that you are saved because of the works that you do. Just as Jesus said that you will know a tree by its fruit, right? What is uh, uh, on the outside is evidence as to what is on the inside. If you notice that both Paul and James actually use the word justified there, Right? They use the exact same word. Now, justify in the Greek can mean two different things, just as it can mean two different things in the English. Okay? Justify can mean to be made right. Okay? You tracking with that? To be made right. But it can also mean to prove right. All right, you tracking with the small difference there? So let me give an example. Say that you and I went to dinner, okay? You, we, you and I went to dinner tonight, and you uh, grabbed my ticket at the end and you paid for my bill. All right, thank you very much. This is a suggestion, all right, not just an illustration, all right? But um, so I could ask, hey, are, are we good? Like, are, are we good to go? And you could say, yes. And, and why could you say yes? Because you have paid my debt for me, right? You have physically paid my debt and I am justified. I do not have to be afraid that when I leave out, they'll think that we are dining and dashing, right? Which I used to do a lot in high school, okay? They won't think that. I can walk out confidently, not in fear, because you have paid for me. However, same scenario. Let's say that you paid for my ticket, and I said, hey, are we good? And you said, yeah, we're good. And then I said, well, well justify your statement. Prove to me that we are good. I, I, I don't believe you. Show me, prove to me, justify to me that we are, in fact, good to go. Then what would you do? You would grab the paid ticket and say, here you go, see, I paid for you. And then you would proceed to never invite me to dinner again because I was being rude, right? And so uh, theologian and commentator Douglas Moo, he actually says it like this. James is not arguing that works must be added to faith, his point, rather, is that genuine biblical faith will inevitably be characterized by works. And so James and Paul actually are not at odds. They're actually talking about two different things, okay? They're not at odds with each other. They're talking about two different things. Paul denies the need for pre-conversion work. You tracking with that? Okay, Paul denies that need for pre-conversion work. In other words, you cannot work yourself into salvation with God. There is not enough good things that you can do to be made right, to be justified before God. There is not enough that can happen, okay? There is no type of work. You are saved. You are brought into a relationship 
by grace through faith. James, however, emphasizes the opposite, the absolute necessity of post-conversion work. So once you are in fact justified, you will in fact change. Once you are saved, you will begin to look different. You will begin to produce fruit that you did not produce before. You are not saved by what you do before or after Christ. Okay, salvation does not save you before or after Christ. However, once you are saved, you do in fact begin to do. You tracking with that? Okay, so once you are saved, you do in fact begin to do. So think about our mission statement once again. So even in the church, we try to lay out like this. We wanna make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who what? There we go. One person got on my good side, all right, right? Who impact the world, okay? We want to do because disciples are changed by the gospel. We see what happens. We see the beauty of Jesus, and then we begin to make a difference, right? You do once, in fact, you have been saved. We begin to look and act like Jesus. Now, James gives us a real-life example here, okay, in, in chapter two. He says, if you see someone in need and then you don't help them, what good is that? Like, do you really have faith, okay? And so actually, uh, what James's illustration of what the person says to them is he kind of says to the man that's in need, hey, blessings, brother, all right? He sees that he's hungry, he's, he's, he's kind of naked, and blessings, God bless you, brother, right? Stay warm, stay well, man, just I, I bless you. And James says, what type of faith is that, Right? Matter of fact, there's a, what type of Christian would do that? There's a video that I want to show that I think illustrates this really well. So let's watch this video real quick. Man, this is the crux of our faith. Our faith hangs on this fact, man. Bro, I agree with you, Craig. I agree, but what you got to understand is imperative to our faith that when. Man, this is the crux of our faith. Our faith hangs on this fact, man. Bro, I agree with you, Craig. I agree, but. What you gotta understand is imperative to our faith that when that we understand when he says a day in the scriptures, it's right. 24 hours. No, it is a year. You you mess up the whole Bible oh. if you don't understand. Excuse me. Turn Excuse, me. Oh. Excuse me. Excuse me. One second, brother. One second. Exegetically. No, I just got just, just root, I just got one quick question. My okay, car just okay. broke down. Mm. It's freezing cold outside. I just need a ride. You guys think you could hook me up with a ride? Ooh. Ah. This is like our Bible study time. Praise God. There is a service station about a mile, bang, a mile away. Um, I've walked it a few times. It's a, hey, bro, it's, it is snowing, so you may want to zip that up a little bit. Yes, they, yes. I think they close like 25 minutes, though, so you may want to. You may want to rush it a little that, bit, bro. bro. All right, bro. Hey, bro. Exegetically. Hey, be encouraged, bro. Be encouraged. Exegetically. That's not right, bro. That's not right. Come, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. What are you talking Bro, what's your name? My name's Ryan. Hey, let's pray for Ryan, bro, in his walk. That's true. Yeah, let's do That's that. true. Uh, Lord. <laughs> I mean, how absurd is this? Is what James is saying, right? And so unfortunately, many people, though, think that this is how Christianity works, right? This is actually how some of us actually live out the faith that we so frequently profess. And so James is saying this is not actually faith at all. But James keeps going, okay? So maybe some people will contend. Maybe they'll say, well, I don't really know if that's true. Like, like I just have really, really strong faith. I just, I like the theology of God. I have ascended. Or other people will actually say, well, no, you can actually just work. Why do you even need the faith at all? If you work, don't you then reflect who Christ is? And so you have two arguments here. So let's read uh, verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
So here, one person have faith, one person have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What does James mean? He explains, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, okay? Those are fighting words right there, all right? Even the demons believe and they shudder. So in verse 18, someone may think, well, I believe, isn't that enough? I have this belief. And somebody else will think, well, I'm a good enough person. Isn't that enough? And both of them, James says, no, these have to marry together. If you don't have one without the other, then your faith is actually dead. Your works prove the faith that you have, James is saying. And then if you are in fact saved, works will be a natural result. In fact, James goes so far as to show us that often demons have greater faith than we do. That demons have greater faith than we do. Who in here wants their faith to be compared to a demon? All right? Like if I came up to you today and I was like, brother... Sister, I'm so encouraged in your faith. You have faith like a demon. Would you walk away feeling encouraged, right? No, I don't think so. These are fighting words, okay? That is what James is doing. He says, you think that it's enough to have faith? Even the demons have faith in God. And listen, they shudder. Even the demons have faith in God, right? So we can't come in here on Sunday morning and sing out to God because our hearts have a hard time believing and remembering who he is. But the second that a demon sees God, they shudder, right? They bow down, they worship, they proclaim who God is. We have a hard time reading the word, right? Facebook kind of is a little bit more alluring than the very words of God, right? We have a hard time thinking about him. We get distracted all the time. But demons, they even shudder. So James is actually kind of giving a strong-armed argument here that says, hey, even the demons have strong faith. That doesn't save them. A, a, a mental assent as to who to God is does not save a person. Matter of fact, in the Bible in a reading, uh, uh, we're reading through the Bible in a year as a church, and uh, it's on the bulletin every week. If you want to follow along, just jump along with us. I would encourage you to do that. But just this week, I was reading in Luke chapter 8, and uh, this is Jesus walking around. Once again, this will be on the screen. You don't have to turn here. But Luke chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says this. He's going, and he's about to heal a person, They see a bunch of demons, okay? And then in verse 28, the demon proclaims this. When he saw Jesus, the demon, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me? Now listen to what he calls Jesus. Jesus, son of the most high God. This demon is giving an unbelievable Christian profession of the faith. I beg you, do not torment me right? The demon shudders. This is pretty good theology, isn't it? And so James is saying, no, if you believe though, if you have true faith, you actually respond to that faith. You don't just have a mental assent as to who the God is. You have a heart change. God begins to drastically change all of who you are. You don't just talk the talk, but you walk the walk, right? You remember that from elementary school? Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk, right? In, uh, in, in Detroit, we used to say, uh, about it. Are you about it? All right? It means about it, <laughs> okay? Right? And so they'd be like, you ain't about it. And that means you're going to talk a good game, right? But you're not actually going to live that out, all right? And so James is saying, you ain't about it, <laughs> right? If you aren't doing something, then you don't even believe in the faith that you said you have. The difference between demons and genuine faith is that do- though demons believe, they don't have faith, 
Do you see how James uses that word very particularly there with the demons? See how James uses the word believe and not the word faith there? Because faith actually changes you. Faith moves past believing. Demons aren't changed. They don't submit to who God is. They don't begin to follow him with their life. They don't begin to bow down and worship him and to change their lives. They believe in God, but they don't have faith that begins to move that belief. They've mentally assented without having a true heart change, so they prove they don't have faith. So question, have you been changed by the gospel? Have you been changed by the gospel? Has the gospel changed your life? So you prove whether or not you actually have faith if you have submitted to Christ and then you bear fruit. You bear fruit in keeping with repentance, John the Baptist would say. Or you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, uh, Paul would say. Or you love the brothers and sisters or else you don't have true faith, the apostle John would say. And every single biblical writer actually mentions this very same fact. Just never this drastically as we see in James. Are you changing? Are you looking more and more like Christ? You should be able to look at who you were as a non-Christian and see a tangible, real life change right? That sin begins to die off, that holiness begins to be put on, that you look like a different person. Or maybe I know for some of you, you can't even remember when you got saved, right? Like it feels like you kind of came out the womb saying, hallelujah, Jesus, right? And so it's hard for you to remember. Even still, you should see sanctification happening in your life. Even if you were three when you professed faith, you were still a sinner saved by grace. And so you should begin to see that change, Right? I know even my wife, she was saved very, very early. She was three or four and came and told her mom that she had a dream that Jesus gave her a new heart. So she hasn't known life as a non-Christian, but she used to struggle with anxiety, something that scripture says that's not right. But as she submitted to God, God gave her a new heart again and again and again, and you keep changing. You look more and more like Jesus. Sanctification happens. Not a self-will working, okay? Not a, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to make myself different. But a genuine life change because somebody external is changing who you are as a person. The Holy Spirit is working inside of you. Are you changing or are you like a demon and you have no faith at all or demonic faith? Are you changing because of the gospel? Works are a natural response to understanding the gospel. They are compelled by the spirit that lives inside of us, okay? So let me give another example that may help us out, all right? Say my marriage to Natalie, okay? If I just say, if I just verbally assent and I say, hey, I am married to Natalie, does that indeed make us married? Get a little bit Pentecostal with me in here, all right, come on. Does that indeed make us married? No, because I could say right now, I am married to Sally. And does that make me and Sally married? No. By the way, if your name's Sally, I very much apologize, okay? I don't know a Sally in here, which is why I chose that. But if you're a guest, my apologies, all right? It's always weird to use real names, right? No, I am not married just because I say I am married to Sally. I am married to, that doesn't make, at the same time though, if I just do works, does that make Natalie and I married? So, so if I try to serve her, if I give to her, hey, listen, if I'm physically intimate with her, but that's it, does that make us married? No. Because we know that's true oftentimes, right, where there can be physical intimacy, but does that by itself create a covenant? No, it doesn't. It's faith and works being married together that creates marriage, right? And so my monogamy, my works, 
okay? And my covenant, my verbal covenant, my faith, married together, prove that Natalie and I are married. And we continue to prove that by the way that we live out our lives from the moment that we covenanted it with each other until the end. And it should grow more and more and more. Are you married to Jesus? Are you married to Jesus? Have you professed that covenant that says, I believe in you, Jesus, like we sang before we even got up here, right? Jesus, I believe in you. I want to follow you. I, I know who you are. I want to submit my life to you. And then our work's beginning to show that. Our work's beginning to be produced in your life, right? Uh, it's a good thing to, to possess accurate theology, but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology possess us. It's a good thing to have good theology, that means nothing, though, unless that also begins to possess who we are. If it begins to change who we are as a person, are you producing fruit? Are you in a live tree? Okay, so James finishes up. Let's finish up our text here. He finishes up with one more thought, all right? So verse 21. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out on another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Abraham's faith was, let's say like this, proven true. Okay, because here's what we know about Abraham. Abraham was actually justified by God back in Genesis chapter 15. And so if you're familiar with that story, Genesis chapter 15, he believes in who God is. He believes in the promise of God. And then scripture says he was justified. What James is quoting here is Genesis chapter 22, 30 years later. And so what is James saying then? James is saying that faith that Abraham had when he was 70 years old was proving itself to be true when he was 100 years old or, or 115, 120 when he offered up Isaac. And so he had genuine faith and you see it working throughout his life. Here's an example. When he gave up Isaac, right? This faith was made true. And so Abraham trusted God just like Moses trusted God, just like Paul trusted God, just like James trusted God. Just like Jesus trusted God the Father, and then the works were an evidence of who those men were, right? Now, do you think that James is serious about this issue, okay? Because I want you to look real quick again. I have a little bullet list here, okay? James says in verse 14, can that faith save him? He says, no. Verse 17, he says that faith by itself that it does not have works is dead. In verse 22, faith was completed by his works. In verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In verse 26, faith apart from works is dead. James is saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, which if you remember, anytime that you repeat yourself in the Hebrew culture, then you are trying to uh, highlight emphasis. So James writes this in caps locks. He bolds it, he underlines it, he italicizes it. And a fifth thing that I can't even think of, all right? James is trying so hard to show us, hey, faith without works is dead. Now, some people will be discouraged for a quick moment, okay? 
Because here's what the temptation will be to think. The temptation will be to think, well, shoot, I don't do things like what Abraham did. I don't offer up my son on the altar. I have a hard time reading the Bible, right? And we'll begin to get discouraged by that, okay? And listen, I don't want to shrink back the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? I will say that. If the Holy Spirit is trying to convict your heart, then maybe you don't have a genuine faith. Maybe you haven't actually believed in God. Maybe you have had a false profession. Maybe you were kind of like the demon before. If the Holy Spirit is trying to prompt you in that, I want him to do that. Praise the Lord, okay? I don't want to take away from that. But I also want you to know that because this is so serious, because we're talking about heaven and hell, because we're talking about eternal life or eternal death with God or apart from God, then I don't want to provide false security. But I do want you to think about the apple tree again. Think about the apple tree that we started off with, okay? When you take an apple seed and you plant it into the ground, does the apple tree immediately produce a thousand pieces of apple? No, if you can do that, tell me because I would like to produce that type of tree, right? That's not how it works. In fact, after the first day, is there even a tree? Is there even a leaf at the end of the first day? No, but is that an apple tree? Yes, and you know how you will know? Because over time, that tree will begin to produce. And so at the end of year one, maybe it only produces two apples. If you just planted that tree, are you discouraged or are you encouraged? You're encouraged because you're like, hey, my tree's alive. I didn't kill it yet, right? It wasn't hot enough this year yet, right? And if the second year it produces 13 apples and the third year it produces 42 and the fourth year it produces 83 and the fifth year it produces 100 and you see that growth and you are encouraged. And oftentimes this is how the Christian faith works where God plants the seed of the gospel in our heart and it begins to take root, right? And it grows down before it grows up sometimes and you begin to see fruit producing. But over the long haul, if it's truly an alive apple tree, it will produce apples. If you truly have an alive Christian faith, then it will produce Christian works. Those two things will be married to each other, right? You will begin to bear fruit. Okay, And so you don't prove that you are saved by the works that you do. So what I don't want you to do is to run out of here today and just try to do a whole bunch of works because that's not how you get saved, right? This is actually a testing of our faith. Do we really know who Jesus is? Have we been impacted by the gospel? And that's the question we have to ask. Is the Holy Spirit continuing to do a work in us that makes us work for him? Or has he not started that work? Because here's the truth in all of this. As your faith grows, so do your works. Because you become more and more in line with Jesus. You begin to submit to him. You look more and more like him. You become more and more in awe at the gospel. See, if the gospel was only impactful for a moment, but it's not today, then do you understand the gospel? Because what begins to happen is you recognize more and more and more the beauty of Jesus. You begin to realize that Jesus had all the riches in the world, that he had perfect fellowship with God and that he sacrificed all of it so that you who were poor could become rich in him. And that makes your heart leap for joy, right? You begin to realize that he who was never thirsty died on the cross saying, I thirst, so that you who were thirsty could thirst no more, that you could find everlasting refreshment in Christ. Once we remember this, we're impacted by it and then it moves our faith. It moves us into response. We love God. We want to know God more. We want to talk about him. We want to work it out because we are impacted by the joy of the gospel. We realize that Jesus lived this to perfection with us. Listen, remember this illustration that James used? You see a brother who's poor, who lacks food and clothing. If you say, man, goodbye, God bless. Is that really faith? 
See, Jesus was standing in heaven and he looked at us and we were poor, without food and without clothing. And what Jesus did is he took off his righteous garment and put on flesh. He literally dressed himself differently so he could come down, live amongst us, so that by faith in him, he would then clothe us with his righteousness. Jesus, when we were naked, came down and and gave us clothes. When we were hungry, he gave us himself, the very word of God that we may taste and savor him. Jesus lived this out to perfection. And when we feel that, when we see that, we want to live that out with others. We want to live out the gospel in our lives. It begins to make a difference. We are impacted by the gospel. And so have you seen this gospel truth in your life? Have you, have you seen it? Has it begun to change who you are? Has it affected things about your life? You're not saved by your works. Salvation is a free gift of God. You receive that by faith, by believing in who Jesus is. And it is a free gift. It's almost scandalous. You feel like you should want to work for it, but, but you can't. Jesus already did all the work for you. You just believe. But then you're changed. Jesus is a big God. He impacts your heart, right? And so we see this even one more time in the text. All right, one more quick example. Look at Abraham again. A godly, righteous, Israelite man. And then look at who else James highlights. A lowly, Gentile, no-named prostitute. Do you see the contrast that James is trying to give to us today? Actually, I have a chart up there for us if you want to look at it. Abraham and Rahab. Abraham was an Israelite. Rahab was a Gentile, right? Abraham was a man, which in that culture, they had more respect naturally. Rahab was a woman, which had less respect in that culture naturally, right? Abraham was righteous, this is. Rahab was a prostitute, which means immoral, okay, opposite of Abraham. Abraham had a covenant with God. Listen, Rahab was a Canaanite. The Canaanite people had, God had a covenant against them. And so Abraham had a covenant with God, but Rahab had a covenant against her, okay? One was a patriarch, one was a prostitute. And yet both of them received God by faith. And then their works began to prove who they were. Both were saved by faith, but then they showed that they actually had a true faith because they worked out for God. If you feel far from being able to be saved, don't you see who God has saved in the past? God has saved prostitutes, right? People who we naturally begin to think are a little bit lowly or a little bit. No, God came down and he offered her faith and she believed and was saved. Matter of fact, she actually ended up bearing Christ the Son, Because through her line was David, through her line was Jesus. This Canaanite prostitute turned into a a, a woman in the family of God and the very genealogy of our Savior, Jesus. Do you think that your sin can actually separate you from God? James says, no, anybody can receive this faith. Abraham or Rahab, patriarch or prostitute, righteously upright, moral, good boy, girl, or bad, sinful, wicked person, everybody can receive the same gospel that by faith you can come into a relationship with God. And then after you come into that relationship, you begin to prove that faith by the works that you do. You are a changed man. You are a changed woman. You begin to represent who God is. God clothes you, he feeds you, he makes you his. This should make your heart rejoice because in the end, we all know that we're actually all Rahabs, right? We're all Rahabs and God has saved us. Jesus saved your life, hallelujah. Would you live out 
that. If you don't have that faith, Jesus offers it to you. Let us be a church that is impacted, that our faith produces works that make much of Jesus together. Let's pray. Um, God, I know that some people, um, God, actually don't know who you are. Maybe for some people, they, they think that they knew you, but then they realize there's not a whole lot of fruit being produced or, or they know that they've been wandering around or they just know straight up that they don't believe in you. God, thank you for offering intimacy that we can come into a relationship with you that like Abraham, we can be called a friend of God, a friend, not a, an enemy, but one who is close. God, I thank you for that, that you can change so drastically that you offer us such a beautiful gift. I want to encourage you, if, if you don't know Jesus today, or maybe you're wrestling, you're, you're not really sure if you have genuine faith, Christ invites you into a relationship with the Father. You can believe today, you can have faith today, you can begin to follow who he is the intimacy, the hope, the joy that comes in the gospel. I invite you to profess and believe in who Jesus is. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart, to cleanse you, to make you his. And Christian, for us, I pray very simply that we would be convicted, that we would respond out of our obedience for the gospel. Not that we would try to work to prove that we are saved, but that we would remember the gospel and that that would push us to works that would push us to love people, push us to sacrifice, push us to lay down our, our time or, or our money or our talents or whatever it may be, that we would be a living, active, true representation of who Jesus is. I pray that we would move in line with the gospel, that we would want our hearts changed, that we would love the people around us. God, we want you, we want you to be doing a work in us, Jesus. Would you keep reminding us of how good you are? You are so good, God. You are so good. We praise things in your precious name. Amen.